Hi, I'm Chris Shaffrey, the president of the AANS, and I want to invite you to Boston for our annual meeting, which is going to be held on April 25th through 29th, 2020. The theme of the meeting is the world of neurosurgery. It's going to be an exciting, informative, compelling meeting, and I strongly encourage you all to attend. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. Great. We are so fortunate today to have with us Judy Rossman. Uh, Judy is uh, an icon in our field. And, you know, it's funny because I first met her about 20 years ago, JP, and, and I was at one of our national meetings. I think it was CNS, and they had a big booth. It's called Rossman Search, and I was a resident, and she had this striking yellow, I think it was a Chanel dress on. I was like, wow, this woman is like, a, she's like a professional. She's like a CEO. And we talked a little bit, and I was just a wee resident then. And you really made me optimistic about the future of our field. Uh, and some people call you a headhunter, but I would say more like a matchmaker. Um, so we're very delighted to have you on the podcast today. Well, thank you very much. I'm so excited to be here. So tell us a little bit about you and Rossman. And this is not, you know, we have nothing to do with Rossman as, 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 a, as a corporation, but you're such an icon at our national meetings and your people are wonderful. So tell us a little about how you got into this. Um, so Rossman Search developed really organically from the experiences that I had. Um, my husband and I have been together for a long time, um, so long that it reveals my age, maybe, if I tell you how long. But um, when I was a law student and he was um, a medical student, we were together, so that gives you an idea. Um, and we went through his training together. Um, you know, he was a resident and I was a young attorney at a large law firm. And um, oh, He's as, a neurosurgeon? Uh, my husband is a neurosurgeon. Is that right? I didn't know this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, my husband is actually um, married. Well, I am married to um, Michael Vogelbaum, um, oh, but we have different last that. names. I know mo- most people do not know that my husband is a neurosurgeon, but that's, and my uncle actually is also a neurosurgeon. Um, but uh, that was what gave me the idea for this business. Um, my un- my husband was a neurosurgeon, um, a neurosurgery resident at WashU. And I was an attorney at a large law firm, and my large law firm um, consisted of many, many specialized departments, and the focus was really on excellence. We wanted to be the best in our fields. Um, and at the same time, my husband was getting a lot of phone calls from recruiters about jobs, but they didn't understand the language that he was even speaking when he said he wanted to be an academic neurosurgical oncologist, and they couldn't therefore be of very much assistance to him. And I looked around my big law firm with all of our specialized and subspecialized departments, and I thought, boy, wouldn't it be great to do this in physician recruiting so my husband would have somebody to talk to that would understand what he's talking about when he says he wants to be an academic neurosurgical oncologist. And that's how I developed the idea for a specialized recruitment firm focusing on neurosurgery. 
That's wonderful. So that's why you care so much about us. You really, it's different. I mean, I've dealt with recruiters in a number of fronts. We have a lot of fellows and residents, and you're very special. And I, I want to say it's like a white glove experience with you guys. I'm not having actually gone through it, but being around it, you know? You're super sweet. Well, we never, um, I never envisioned recruiting as sales. I know that normally it's it's a pretty transactional kind of field and it's um, it's considered a sales-related field. I always considered it consulting and service. If you do enough good consulting and service, you know, then you help enough people find good matches. Um, and you have a JD, but are you a practicing lawyer? Or you, you have, you no, oh, lawyer? I've fully recovered from the practice of law. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to ask you about that because, okay, let me, let me just go right into that then. So... I feel like people get such horrible advice on how to get a job, and that's what, you know, we, we want you to speak to our listeners who are maybe looking at a job or in the future looking for a job, want to change a job. And, and people always come with this, I want to see the contract. I remember my contract was like a page. It was just like, you're going to work for us at a university, right? Typical. Um, but, but all these young guys, they come and they get a contract and they, they say, I got to have a lawyer look at it. And I'm like, that's going to be useless because they're going to tell you nothing that you, that is interesting. What do you think about that? I mean, I know it, I'm, we're not giving legal advice here. Right? Sure. Yeah. So actually the contract process is, is really important. It tells you a lot about, um, about the institution that you're joining. Um, and I always think about the contract process as the last stage in the interview process. Mm, not the first, but the last. The, the last, yes. Mm-hmm. For, first of all, it's very important for people to know that just because you have a job offer in hand doesn't mean you can't lose it during the contracting process. Uh-huh. If you are an impossible person to deal with or your lawyer turns out to be an ogre on your behalf, um, you know it could actually cost you a very good job offer, and we've certainly seen lawyers blow things up for... Um, you know, very good, well-intended neurosurgeons. Oh, I see. I never thought about that. Yeah, you have to be. You have to be very careful when you hire a lawyer that they understand that a job is not a job is not a job, and that a good job in neurosurgery is hard to find. So, if you are reviewing a contract um, as an attorney, it, it should be that lawyer's job to work things out, not to blow things up. You know, the good lawyer does not nitpick a contract to death. Um, the other thing that's really important. Um, and you are so right about the role of lawyers in all of this, uh, is that people have to know that a a contract is only evidence of an agreement. Um, It cannot actually force anybody to do anything. So Mm. you should never make a contract with somebody that you don't trust um, because, uh, you know, the contract can't actually force somebody to live up to their obligations. It only spells out what will happen if somebody doesn't live up to their obligations. Um... And who wants a lousy job in a lawsuit? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you know, I think that the there's a lot that you can learn if you're from the contracting process. If, for example, as is very common these days, you're joining a large institution and they say, well, here's our contract, but it's pretty non-negotiable. We have, you know, all these physicians on the same contract. Well, that tells you they are going into a kind of a very big corporate mm-hmm you know, environment. If you get a handshake in an academic environment and an appointment letter that says what your salary is, what that really tells you is that the thing that's important are your relationships Mm. and you have an opportunity here to be at the table and you had better be joining a place where your chair has your back and wants you to achieve the goals that you want to achieve and is willing to help you work through those things. That's fascinating. So, so, it's, it's funny that we, in our mid-30s, 
usually get our first real, I mean, not like as a lifeguard or like working at Starbucks, like our first <laughs> real job, right? Yep. And so nobody's really prepared. And, and when I go around, I, I love to do this role play thing when I'm a visiting professor and say, okay, I'll be the CEO or, you know, medical director and then you're head of the group and you'll be the applicant. Let's do a little role play. And everybody falls flat on their face. Like they don't even know how to do an interview, right? right. That's Let, exactly right. Right? Because they've never been practicing this. That's and they've right. never been taught. And they always, they always say, thank you so much. Nobody's even tried to do that. I, I make it kind of funny and it's a little embarrassing for them, but they also learn a lot. So walk me through the process. So I'm a PGY7 right now. I encourage the chief residents, they better be here at the CNS because this is the chance to meet people easily. Tell me what a PGY6 or 7 should be doing. Uh, like right, I don't mean like right today, but like in this process, what, what happens? In the interview process? Just like the job search okay, process? Let's, let's start with this. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't care where I'm going to be. I'm a good resident. No red flags. Nothing wrong with me. And I want a good job. And I just come to you. Judy, help me out here. You're the professional. I don't know what to do. Give me some some advice. Give me some leads. Sure. So, well, the first thing that I want to test out is do you really not know what you want to do? Okay, I want, to make, want to, a, to, I want to make a ton so. of money in the best city in America. I want a lot of time off. You know, the, the usual, everybody asks for the same stuff, right? Which, by the way, I disagree with. But let's just say you're going to set I, me I up. was going to say, I'm so happy to say, I don't think people ask for the same stuff. You don't think? Okay, tell no, me about that. No, I think that people have really um, different goals, okay. different professional goals. Um, if a neurosurgeon, if the first word out of somebody's mouth uh, is money, um, I'm actually very anxious about representing that person as a Tell candidate. Tell me about because, that. Tell me about that because that's because, great advice. Because you did not go into neurosurgery for the purpose of making money. Now, that right. doesn't mean that money doesn't matter. We all need it to survive. Right. And while there is more to life than making money, there's also more to life than you know stressing about how you're going to pay for your children's education and you know pay your mortgage. But, um, but they've never had it, so they don't even know what to do with it. And, and there's a great book called The Millionaire Next Door that I read as a resident. You probably read yeah. it. It's one of the best sellers of all time. And there's a whole chapter on doctors because yeah. doctors are so, right, we're different in a lot so, of ways. So, well, you know, I think that... Um, uh, being a physician is like being part of the new priesthood. You know, no, you know, right now, our physicians have so many pressures on them, and you're so expected to do everything because it's a calling. And again, I'm not saying that money is not significant. I'm just saying that I don't believe that it's a good driver for your decisions about your neurosurgical career. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if you look at all of the things that people stress about the most, most of them are financially related when they're looking for a job. And the things that really people need to be focused on are, you know, boy, you've put a lot of time and effort into your training to do a particular thing. Well, what is it that you are passionate about doing? What kind of neurosurgeon do you want to be when you grow up? Do you want to be that all-around community neurosurgeon in a small town that, you know, uh, gets greeted warmly by your former patients when you are in the grocery store? You know, do you want to be that expert in uh, neurosurgical oncology or functional neurosurgery who's uh, leading and developing clinical trials and creating new therapeutics? You know, what do you want to Well, you know us. Be, we want it all. Right? Yeah. We want everything, so, which is impossible, right? Well, you can't, you can't be everything, yeah. right? Um, and, uh, and, and I don't think that you should try. I think that you should really focus on, you know, what your real values are, why you went into the field. Um, understand that money is important and, you know, people, uh, can advise you on how to make sure that you are paid fairly and competitively as much as that is 
possible in your field, but you're neurosurgeons, you're all going to do fine, yeah, you know, yeah. financially. You're, I'm not going to say you're never going to have a financial stress. That's not true. Um, but, you know, you're neurosurgeons, you're going to be fine. You should do the things that you're built to do. So we're, we're talking about career things like what's your practice structure? Are you an academic or private environment? And then job details, mm-hmm. salary, exactly. hours, etc. Um, so you've been talking about, you know, know yourself, know what you want. And you said, I guess, happily that you don't often have people come to you and the first thing they ask about is salary. It's very rare. So what would you say are the more common things people come to you with? And what do you think, more importantly, I guess, is the most common thing people haven't thought about yet that you have to guide them towards? What, what should we be thinking about besides, of course, a general sense of what do I want for my life and career? Sure. So, I mean, I think that the most common thing that people want is um, the opportunity to develop their subspecialty if they have one. Hmm. And, and I think that is very, very important. And it's really important for people to be able to distinguish between positions, right? If you are a, let's just say that you are a, a skull-based neurosurgeon and um, you want a skull-based job, well, there are many different kinds of employers who could be looking for somebody with an interest in skull base. But there's a huge difference between a place that can support you in building a really busy skull base practice versus a place where you can do some skull base um, Mm -hmm. versus a place that has a really um, hard-to-fill maybe community position and they realize they have some volume in this area and they know that there are more skull base surgeons than there are jobs maybe for skull-based surgeons, so they can dangle that volume as a carrot to get you to take what is essentially a general neurosurgery job. Mm, So the the most most important thing, if you have a subspecialty, is to figure out exactly what kind of a subspecialized practice do you want, how engaged in research do you want to be, what kind of volume do you really need uh, to do, um, what kinds of cases within your specialty do you really want to do? And can the place really support that? And is it really within their interests to support you in doing that, including all of the other people who are already, you know, if there are already skull-based surgeons or uh, other brain tumor surgeons or cranial neurosurgeons in that environment, um, you know, will they welcome you? Are you taking up their volume? Are you growing a program together? Or are you taking a piece of... Uh, of a pie that is perceived to have a fixed, you know, volume of cases. And Trudy, how's the job market now? How's it looking in 2019? Um, The job market is fantastic for neurosurgeons. Um, You know, it's it's fantastic as far as employability is concerned. It is, of course, very different depending on what specialty or subspecialty you're in. So there are some subspecialties where we have more people graduating onto the market where then we have jobs um, and we have some subspecialties where there is uh, you know really high demand and, and not enough people. So JP you're an intern now you've got six years to prepare Judy give him some advice how is he going to be the most highly recruited neurosurgeon in 20 when are you finishing 2026? Uh, yeah. Yeah 2027 26 when he's finishing how does he spend the next five six years besides all the stuff he's got to do to be the person that you want to place in the best position in America? Have good values, stay true to your values and your ethics, and develop really good skills and good interpersonal relationships. It's just that easy. Wow. So my father's an attorney, 
And whenever people ask him for advice, he says, well, you wouldn't go down to a baker and ask for a free loaf of bread. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so well, thank you for sitting with us today and uh, sharing your wisdom, your experience. Thank you. Appreciate Great. the chance to be here. Great talking to you. Mm-hmm.